1: I believe in God, the Father Almighty.
2: The words of the Apostles' Creed provide a strong antidote to an increasingly anti-Christian culture.
3: The Apostles' Creed distills for us the essence of the Christian faith that has been held, believed, and loved by the Church for many centuries.
2: From D. James Kennedy Ministries, the book Knowing the Whole Truth, Basic Christianity, and What It Means to You will help you stand strong in your faith in a culture that wants to tear it down. In this classic book from the Deeper Walk series, Dr. Kennedy sheds bright light on the essential Christian truth found in the Apostles' Creed.
1: I believe that it was necessary that we once again Declare our faith in the great central and basic tenets of the Christian religion.
2: His compelling stories, personal anecdotes, and stirring testimonies offer solid food for both the mind and the heart. Contact us today to receive your copy of the book, Knowing the Whole Truth, that can only be obtained through D. James Kennedy Ministries.
0: Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to this Palm Sunday edition of Kennedy Classics. Throughout history, there are some events that were so significant, some might say that they changed the world forever. For instance, on December 7, 1941, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, Thousands of Americans lost their lives that day and it was the driving force behind the United States entering World War II. Another historic moment that changed the world took place in 1989 with the fall of the Berlin Wall, signifying the beginning of the end of communism, bringing about the major downfall of many communist countries. Or how about September 11, 2001? Most of us can recall exactly where we were when we heard the news that America had been attacked. While these events that changed the world were indeed monumental, where do they stack up in the grand scheme of things? There was one well-documented historical event that took place over 2,000 years ago. It's that event that has even more significance than all of these others combined. It's the most consequential event in history, and it is one that determines your eternal destiny. Here is Dr. D. James Kennedy with more in his message from the series on the Apostles' Creed, Suffered Under Pontius Pilate.
1: Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the 27th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Matthew. We shall begin our reading with the 15th verse. May we give our careful attention to the inspired word of the living God. Now, at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner. Whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. May God, the Holy Spirit, who inspired these words, speak through them to our hearts and minds this day. And may his name ever be praised. Amen. We come today to the very heart of the creed, to the very heart of Christianity, to the holy of holies in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And it's all summed up in one single, somber, solitary word. A word that stands out in all of its solemnity and dignity. One comprehensive and emphatic word. He suffered. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. For he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, a man who suffered and died. Now it is an amazing thing, I think, to note that the creed makes a tremendous leap from the birth of Christ to his suffering and death, and that his entire ministry is passed over. There is not a word in all of the creed about his great teachings about his marvelous example, about the incredible miracles which he performed. All of this is passed over in silence, and immediately we are ushered in to the realm of his suffering and death. However, this might not seem so strange when we consider the New Testament itself. Well, we find, if we look at the epistles of Paul, that here again... Virtually the entire ministry of Jesus Christ is totally ignored. There is no mention of his ethical teachings, no mention of the Sermon on the Mount, which liberal theology has so exalted into a virtual substitute for the gospel of Christ, no mention of his miracles, parables, or whatever, but rather the emphasis is always upon his suffering, death, and resurrection. And it is even so in the Gospels themselves which are the only place that we learn about his life at all. But one-third of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke deal with his sufferings and death. And the Gospel of John, fully one-half of it, deals with the last week that Christ lived upon this earth. Born, suffered, and died. And I think the position of this phrase in the Creed is worthy of our notice. We have just read that he was conceived by the Holy Ghost, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, a Holy Ghost, a Virgin Mary, a pure, innocent, and spotless life. Plato had long before declared, as he and the rest of the Greeks worshiped truth, goodness, and beauty. That since they said man's sin derived merely from his ignorance, if only they could see a perfect example of ethics and morality, of purity and piety, they would no doubt fall down and adore it and follow it breathlessly. But rather, when he came, the very incarnation of goodness and purity with a sinless and spotless life, the perfect Christ, the crystal Christ, the peerless one, man in all of his depravity took him and nailed him to a cross and buried him out of their sight. There is no clearer commentary to be found anywhere in the world on the nature of the human heart that in the fact that the pure, virgin-born, spirit-conceived Christ, the peerless one, was hated and despised and crucified. Truly, man is seen with all of his blemishes, wrinkles and warts and twistedness when we compare him to the purity of Christ. we are told that we are to love him to trust him to follow him to obey him and yet how hopeless it all seems to be like him it is said and yet we know that we are so unlike him to be like him we must have his power but his power only comes through his death and that is why that the emphasis of the epistles the emphasis of the gospels and the emphasis of the creed is upon the death of Jesus Christ, and ever the central symbol of the Christian church is his cross. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. The world in which we live is a suffering body, and it needed a suffering head that could empathize with its pain and agonies. And so he came, the suffering Savior, to his passion. We read that he was exceeding sorrowful unto death. We read of his loneliness, of his agonizing prayers, his disappointment with his disciples, his bloody sweat, the traitor's kiss, the binding with cords, the blows to the face, the plucking of his beard, the spitting, the buffeting, the mocking, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the heavy cross, the via dolorosa, the exhaustion, the collapse, the stripping, The nakedness, the impaling, the the jeers of his foes, and the flight of his friends. The thirst, the darkness, the rejection and forsakenness by his father. And finally, the blackness of death. Indeed, he was a man equated with grief. He suffered. He suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified. We are told, crucifixion, the most awful, excruciating, most painful, most shameful, most ignominious of deaths. Jesus was crucified. To what end? that he might be dead, suffered, crucified, dead. And the creed essentially tells us of the life of Christ, that he was born and that he died, his incarnation and his atonement. Christ's death is emphasized because the death of Christ was the greatest act and event of his entire life. He is the only person ever to have lived upon this planet who was born for the specific purpose of dying. He was born to die. He was crucified in the mind of God before the creation of the world, we are told. That is why he came. Death did not end the work of Christ. Death was the work of Christ. We refer to the finished work of Christ when he finished his passion in death. If it weren't for the awfulness of sin, then Jesus Christ would never have died. If men were really good, as so many suppose themselves to be, then Jesus Christ need never have died. If we could get to heaven on our own merit, by our own good deeds, then why did Jesus die? If by merely following the Ten Commandments or living by the golden rule, we could ever enter into paradise, then to what purpose did he suffer on the cross? Ah, at least in one thing Freud was right when he reached down into the very depths of the id of man and saw in the deep, dark caverns of the human soul all manner of creeping thing, all manner of foul thoughts and desires there, and he came to conclude exactly what the Scripture had said, that out of the heart of man proceedeth all manner of evil, that man is sinful from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Total depravity, the theologians call it. That doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be, but it does mean that every part of us is infected with the deadly poison. If you have a cup of pure water and you put into it but a few drops of a fatal poison, the cup does not have to be 100% poison to be deadly. No, there's not one part of it that you can drink without experiencing its pernicious effects. And so it is with sin. It has pervaded our minds and our emotions and our will. There is no part of our being that is not tainted with the foul thing. And so that sin has cut us off from any access to God, has cut us off from any way into heaven. The bridge, indeed, is out. I remember a few years ago reading of an incident that happened out in the Midwest, where a truck driver was going down the highway out in the middle, way far out from the cities, and sitting as he was high up in his cab, he noticed a car way out in front of him that suddenly the red light seemed to drop. And then the next car did the same, and suddenly he was filled with panic and he hit the the brakes, the air brakes, as hard as he could and managed to bring the truck to a stop and get it off to the side of the road. He got out of the cab, though the night was overcast and it was drizzling. He made his way up to this bridge that crossed over high above a river, and he saw that the other half of the bridge had completely been washed out, and the span had collapsed. And he went out to the road as there were many cars coming, and he waved his arms to try to stop them they didn't even slow down he had to leap out of the way to save his own life and one after another they came roaring up onto the bridge and dis- disappeared with a whoosh, into the darkness 50 feet down into the black waters below whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. and so it is with man he rushes headlong out of this life, oblivious of the fact that the bridge to heaven is out, that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so he plunges into the pit of darkness and everlasting torment, going by the thousands, by the millions, silently into perdition. The heinousness of sin makes the cross a necessity. The heinousness of sin and the justice of God of necessity only make one thing, and that is hell for sinful men. But the love of God made a cross. That infinite love of God that inexhaustible, unquenchable love of God which caused him to give his own son, his beloved son, his dear son, to die in our place. Ah, My friend, if you want to know the meaning of the cross, I would urge you to come in your spirit and stand before that cross and look up into the face of the God-man and say, O oh Christ, Thou Savior of men, I do not fully comprehend how You are the Infinite and Finite One, how You who are the Creator could die for the creature's sin. But one thing I know, that is that You are dying in my place. That is the meaning of the Atonement. And that is the fact that makes that horrible, fatal Friday good and brings joy and hope to the world. That is the fact that enables us to lay our head upon the pillow for the very last time and face eternity with joy and anticipation, knowing that we're coming not to the tomb but to our graduation and coronation day. That is the fact which gives all of life meaning and significance, which delivers us from our sin and guilt and shame and makes us the sons of God on our way to an inheritance with the saints in light. Ah, that is the greatest fact in all of the world. He suffered, was crucified, dead, and buried, and he did it all for me and for you. May we pray. O God, for those who even now are speedily rushing over the precipice into eternal perdition, trusting the way of their own devising, their own goodness, their own supposed morality, even now, O Lord, let them see that the bridge is out, and look at the black swirling waters below and know that the only bridge is the cross of Christ. May they come now humbly before that cross, bending the knee, say, Lord Jesus, I believe that Thou hast died for me.
3: Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for you? That he died in your place? He took the penalty you and I should have had to pay and instead offers us heaven as a free gift. But like any gift, it has to be accepted freely. If we try to add our efforts, our supposed good works to his gift, it's no longer a gift. If you would like to receive this gift of eternal life right now, We can go to God together in prayer. Simply pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me for my thoughts, words, and actions that are displeasing to you. I thank you for dying in my place and I accept the free gift of eternal life. In your name I pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we would like to send you the book beginning again. You'll find answers to questions you may have and so much more to help you grow in your new faith. To receive your copy, simply write to our address or call our toll free number. Be sure and ask for Beginning Again. And may God richly bless you this Holy Week.
0: As Dr. Kennedy recounts, the greatest fact in all of history is that Christ suffered, was crucified, died, rose from the grave, and that he did it all for you and for me. Yet recent polls have shown that even many self-described evangelical Christians have only a tenuous grasp on the richest truths of the Christian faith. The Apostles' Creed is one of the bedrock confessions of the Christian church, summarizing what all Christians in all times in all places, have believed about God and about Jesus Christ. In a day where historical and theological ignorance is on the rise, it's even more vital than ever that you understand the great truths of the Christian faith and to be able to apply them to your own life. Today you heard a message from Dr. D. James Kennedy's series on the Apostles' Creed, and we have just published a classic book from him, part of our Deeper Walk series that unpacks that classic creed line by line. It's called Knowing the Whole Truth, Basic Christianity and What It Means to You. And we want to send it to you as our thanks for your generous donation to help us continue the work of this viewer-supported ministry. Today's message was just a small foretaste of the feast contained in this book. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or you can go online to djkm.org. Dr. D. James Kennedy was one of the clearest, ablest expositors of Christian truth of the last century. Nobody was better able to take deep and complex theology and make it clear and understandable. This book is illuminated by compelling stories, personal anecdotes, and stirring testimonies, as one of the most respected pastors of our age offers solid food for both the mind And the heart. And if you're able to give a generous donation of $60 or more to help us continue broadcasting the gospel and speaking biblical truth to the controversial issues of our age, we will send you Knowing the Whole Truth plus the audiobook version on six CDs. Listen as you work, drive, and go about your daily tasks strengthened and built up in the bedrock truths of Christianity. On top of that, we will also include a three-pack of our exclusive Truth in Action Q&A booklet, Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? Perfect for sharing your faith in the risen Jesus Christ with your friends, loved ones, co-workers, and acquaintances. That's the book, Knowing the Whole Truth, Basic Christianity and What It Means to You, as well as the six-CD audiobook version, plus the three-pack of the exclusive Truth in Action Q&A booklet, Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? All as our thanks for your generous donation of $60 or more to our ongoing work. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free, 888-332-3069. Or go online to djkm.org. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time today's program is available on DVD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.